Hello, and welcome to Notes from an Imaginary Place, a podcast of short stories set in different imaginary places. This month's story is a little bit longer than our usual. It's uh, approaching 20 minutes, so please settle in somewhere comfortable and enjoy the story. Embassy When the summer began, she left her job as an ecologist in charge of a string of parklets in a city on one of the upper plateaus and traveled down to the embassy in the lowest part of the deepest valley. She presented her documents at the curtained gateway and hands came out through slits in the fabric, snatched the papers into the inner darkness. The ecologist heard rustling and murmured voices. She hoped everything was in order. It was a long hike back, and the air down here seemed thick as water in her lungs. The curtain parted, and she went in. All the embassy's walls were curtains of very dark purple velvet, swallowing up what little light straggled in. When the ecologist's eyes grew accustomed to the gloom, she could make out ambassadors gathered in twos and threes in the great rotunda, communicating through flashing displays of the many tiny lights woven into the fabric of their flowing gowns. Now and then, a pair or trio of ambassadors would disappear into separate velvet-curtained rooms for sensitive negotiations whose blinking colors no one else should see. At first, the days seemed too quiet, but the ecologist found that her ears adapted just as her eyes had, and soon she could tell the rustling of a passing ambassador from the softer swish of the curtains stirring in the valley's sluggish breezes. There were rumors that some of the embassy's walls were mere veils which, in the dark, appeared as solid as velvet, and that spies in lightless garments watched from behind these scrims, eavesdropping. These rumors were true. The spies watched everything, sent densely coded reports back to their home governments, and occasionally leaked highly redacted yet studiously provocative extracts to the press. As a concession to a public who disbelieved all denials of their existence, the spies also held an annual lottery that let an ordinary citizen join them for a season. The lottery winner could do whatever they liked with any information they gleaned from the dark. This year, it was the ecologist who'd been invited behind the curtains. The spies provided her with her own blacker-than-black velvet overalls, her own light-gathering spectacles, her own pair of owl-down-soled shoes. She resolved to make the most of her time behind the scrims, to learn everything she could, and then share that information back out to the world in whatever way would be the most beneficial. Note-taking was forbidden in the Great Rotunda and behind the conversation room scrims. No pen or pencil could ever be entirely silent, even on the smoothest paper, even in a room with velvet walls. So the spies took periodic breaks to go jot down as much as they could. In spite of long months of memory training, the ecologist found that she needed more frequent note breaks than the professional spies who she thought she could almost see and hear around her. The secret scriptorium, 
with its just bright enough lamp jars of bioluminescent algae and its dog-eared pocket guides to the ambassadorial light language, was always empty when she entered. The isolation wore her down, watching gaggles of glad-handing politicians parley, posture, and passive-aggressively bicker over trade and borders, while none of them knew she was even there. She found days upon days of all that velvet deadening every sound left her feeling claustrophobic. The inexorable quiet made her want to shout. Back home in the Plateau City, she'd rarely felt alone. Even in the quietest parts of the day, when nearly everyone was indoors, the parklets she tended were home to a dozen small flocks of birds, innumerable assorted insects and arachnids, and three colonies of nocturnal tree moles. When she countered her way through the quarterly bird inventories, or settled in for the boredom of seasonal nest watches, ants traversed her shoes, butterflies alighted on her sleeves, and spiders settled on her shoulders. When she captured and radio-tagged the day-sleeping moles, starlings and thrushes watched with interest from their branches. Down at the embassy, she learned to look deeper into the shadows to alleviate her loneliness, to trust what was becoming almost an extra sense that told her when another spy stood nearby, breathing the same thick oxygen, watching the same endlessly drawn-out negotiations. It wasn't just the fact of not being alone that made the difference. She was sure that the other spies must have developed the same knack for seeing the unseen, and knowing that made her feel more like one of them. Over time, she observed that some spies weren't just observing the presence of their fellow spies, but were actively tailing them through the embassy's curtained corridors. A few even carried portable scrims and would set themselves up in a corner to lurk. She watched the spy-spying spies follow ordinary spies as they encrypted the information they'd gathered from the ambassadors and transmitted it to their handlers in the world above. And she watched the spying spies encrypt that same information once they'd intercepted it and make their own transmission home, unaware that their stolen information was being tapped as well an ecosystem of secrets, and she seemed to be the only one paying attention to it. She had to work not to spend all her time looking for signs of spy-on-spy -spy information cannibalism. It was the information moving back and forth between ambassadors that she was meant to gather. She couldn't help herself, however, and lingered in the scriptorium slash break room to map the hidden community of spies the way she would have sketched the web of interconnections between the plants and animals in one of her parklets. The spy ecology was trickier since, with no way to crack her fellow spies' codes, she could guess which pieces of information were being stolen and restolen, but she could never be completely certain. She also couldn't follow the actions of any particular spy from day to day. When she could see them at all, she couldn't tell who was who, with them all dressed in identical head-to-toe black, with black hoods and black veils. Although she was dressed the same, she was sure the professionals recognized her amateur nature at a glance, and that they could see her without trouble, even though the blacks of her clothes were every bit as black as theirs. In the rare moments when she happened to see one of the other spies, or spy-spying spies, 
She watched for subtle behavior clues. She staked out the scriptorium, spending hours in the faint greenish-yellow light until she finally glimpsed a few of her colleagues on their furtive note breaks. But she gained hardly any data for all her time. She knew that she'd let some particularly interesting political tidbits slip by. It was hours before she heard that the astrographer general had stepped down from her hereditary office, days before she realized that the Fifth Alliance had fractured, and nearly a week before she understood that the river temples damaged in the spring floods wouldn't be rebuilt after all, events which had vast and interwoven implications for regional instability. But she had barely a month left, and so much left to understand. She needed to just stop being distracted looking for patterns and go back to gathering as much information as possible. The deadline was a tightness lingering in her chest. The ambassadors were as busy as ever with their machinations and palaver, and she quickly caught up. The astrographer general's second cousin had been nominated to her post, but there were rumors that her mother, the astrographer general emerita, might share the duties, at least on an interim basis. If the ecologist's newfound spyish instincts were correct, there were hints that a sixth alliance was gradually coming together, although it was far from clear which city-states would be in and which would be out. In lieu of any river temple rebuilding, it seemed that floating shrines were being refurbished throughout the lower delta, ready to welcome an influx of pilgrims with nowhere else to go and every political entity upriver, down coast, and well out to sea had opinions on this. She was having a slow day. The rotunda was empty except for a trio of ambassadors haggling over tariffs for snail shells. Whenever any two of them seemed near agreement, the third threatened to storm off. This had been going on for three and a quarter hours. At this point, if one of the ambassadors had needed to step away, she could easily have picked up their part in the dialogue. She stared into the dark until her eyes began inventing colors. Back in the parklets, she'd learned that nothing was really a closed ecosystem. Seeds blew in from other plateaus, birds brought back new mites from their wintering grounds, the ants that had always been there would be found eating a species of aphid never seen at this altitude before. When she eventually came home from the valley, would something hitch a ride back up on her clothes? The spies weren't a closed ecosystem either. They were part of a larger system, and she needed to take a better, wider view of the pattern. She'd focused on the spy spying spies and the information they sent back to their respective city-states but she hadn't thought about what that information did when it got there, how it eventually filtered back down and became part of the ambassador's conversations. And she could see those conversations as well as anyone behind the veils and scrims could. She spent the rest of the day watching the ambassadors, not stopping to jot anything down, just absorbed in the ebb and flow of fast-flashing words on their lapels. Then she settled into a corner of the scriptorium, fueled by endless paper cups of the inexplicably fishy coffee, and sketched and wrote in her notebooks until the early hours. In the morning, it was odd to sense her fellow spies moving unseen around her, and know that she had information that none of them could have gathered. She saw the patterns now. 
She knew there was no way to share what she knew. No one ever communicated to the spies on purpose. Least of all another spy, even if it was the civilian among them. She imagined telling them what she'd come to understand, standing among them as if the rotunda were a scholar's colloquia back home. She'd stand in the dark, whisper to the signal coder on her collar, try not to be distracted by the sight of her words blinking and flaring along her arms as she explained everything she'd learned about them, outlined the information composting cycle she'd observed, described how information changed as it moved through the cycle and how it didn't, things she doubted any of them would ever have realized, maybe illustrate the point by telling them how they were like moles whistling in the treetops. When she finished, would she hear their velvet-gloved applause at the edge of her hearing? Ambassadors circulated around the main rotunda in their twos and threes, oblivious to the dozens of spies she suspected must be lurking. One ambassador was saying something about the dust storms and crop yields on the further steps when a shadow blocked her view. A spy. The ecologist stepped to one side to see. The spy followed. Good morning, they said, the front of their overalls scintillating with the spy's special ultraviolet dialect of the ambassadorial blink language. After this, said the spy, you have a choice. When your time with us is up, you can go out through the curtain gate and never return. Climb back home to your city with your notebooks. Tell anyone anything you like. Or you and your notebooks can remain right here. Stay on as one of the Dark Watchers. If you do, you'll have to observe the rules of official silence, of course. But if you go, you'll never again know what's being discussed down here in the dark. The shadow that was the spy stood still, blocking her view. They seemed to be waiting for her to answer. Thank you, she said. She had to look down to make sure the words were rippling ultraviolently down her own overalls. She wasn't sure how to answer. She'd never thought of doing anything but going back upcountry when the summer ended. But the shadow that was the spy had already merged back into the general darkness. She remembered the evening when she'd received the news that she'd been chosen as this year's citizen spy. Every night she walked a winding course that gave her one last look at each of her parklets. That day she'd reached the last and smallest of them before she noticed that someone had taped a midnight blue envelope to the side of her lunch pail during the afternoon. She'd sat on the edge of a fountain, mole song murmuring all around her, and strained to read the letter. It was written on a single matte black sheet something less like paper and more like the petal of an oversized flower. The ink was either transparent or the same shade of black as the page it was written on, but glossy, so she kept having to tilt the letter to catch the light at different angles while it was drooping over her hand, and the moles flung themselves from branch to branch overhead. Even before she'd decided if she'd accept, part of her mind was planning how she'd need to learn the ambassadorial light language, to gradually acclimatize to the thicker air of lower altitudes, to perfect a secret shorthand she could use for her notes. Spending the summer down in the space that she usually looked out across, 
she'd miss the summer cafe festivals, miss the meandering songs of fledgling crested gray wings, miss the sight of sunset over distant peaks. She remembered her excitement. The rumors were true, and she would get to be one of them, to live a time among the secrets. And now that time was about to end. She imagined all the things she might learn if she remained below. She imagined the parklets back home when it was evening and the light was all the more precious for being the last light. She imagined a life measured out in owl-down muffle the footsteps. She knew which birds ate which insects, where the moles were likely to forage next, when the starlings would colonize abandoned mole nests. She knew which ambassador tended to hide trick clauses late in their orations, and which would agree to nearly anything if that meant they could more easily wrangle agreement for other things they wanted more. She knew when spies were likely to follow a particular ambassador like ducklings following their mother, or wolves trailing an injured three-horn. She knew where spies were likely to hide and wait for ambassadors to wander by. She knew when the spies would ruthlessly elbow their fellow spies aside, and when they would choose to coexist with magnanimous indifference. Watching the space in the darkness where the spy who delivered the invitation to stay had stood, the ecologist had a sudden hunch that all the spies were winners of the lottery, that they'd all come down as chefs and piano tuners, nurses and plumbers and painters, and each discovered a way to see the work of spying through the eyes of their previous profession. Again, not a closed system, or part of a bigger system anyway. She knew which system she wanted to be part of. She waited until she sensed that all the spies had either left the rotunda or gone back to watching the ambassadors rather than watching her. And she exited through the gateway curtain with her notebooks full of secrets she could share and her head full of understandings that would make no sense to anyone in the world above. Knowing a truth with no way to communicate it was like carrying hot coals in her pockets. The less of that she had to do, the better. When she arrived back, it was autumn in her plateau city. She had to resist the urge to wear nothing but black and to hide behind trees or other large objects while listening in on strangers' conversations. Wearing a shirt with crisscrossing stripes in a dozen colors and trousers with dots in a dozen more, she stood by the parklet fountain where she'd read the letter that had told her she'd been chosen as a spy. It was noon. The park was as full of people as animals, and everything was bright and visible around her. She saw families floating boats in the fountains, friends meeting at the frozen fruit cart, strangers striking up conversations around the news kiosks about the exposés that the dailies had begun to print. Amid all these things she could see, there were secrets here, too things she'd never know in both natural and human worlds, things no night vision would show her, things even the quietest shoes wouldn't let her sneak up upon. And that was okay, because she was her own system, and held her own secrets. Thanks for joining us on Notes from an Imaginary Place. That was this month's story, Embassy. 
Please join us in a month for another story and another imaginary place. Thanks.